The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be here to worship Him this morning. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for just an opportunity that we have now to worship You. God, I pray that You'd be with us that we would worship You in spirit and in truth, that You'd give us ears to hear Your Word, that You'd give us hearts to apply Your Word, God, that we would be eager to come before You and lift up uh, just Your name in worship. God, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world as well. I pray the same for them, that You'd be glorified today. God, that revival would take hold of this nation, would take hold of this community, this this state, this country, this world, and God, that revival would begin even here amongst us. That God, that we would turn our hearts toward You, that we would live lives fully committed to You, and God, that You would begin a mighty and awesome work in and through us, not because of us, but in spite of us. Not for our glory, but for Yours. And not for our sake, but for the sake of Your kingdom. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul has been laying the foundation of the gospel early on in Corinthians, dealing with some issues, some specific questions that the Corinthian church had written to him about, and that he had heard maybe through messengers that needed to be addressed at Corinth. Corinth was a young church, a very uh, wealthy church, a church that was in a very wealthy culture that uh, had a a very prosperous area in which they lived, but also a very worldly area in which they lived. And Paul is speaking to this young church, encouraging them to grow, to remain steadfast in their faith, and to live in light of the gospel. And as we've seen, he began to talk about spiritual gifts, and he talked about love last week, talked about uh, the excellence of love or the superiority of love over and above the spiritual gifts. And then today we find ourselves in chapter 14, where he begins to talk once again about spiritual gifts, but especially that of prophecy. So with that in mind, let's look at our text. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 19. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, or of knowledge, or of prophecy, or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp and producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, 
and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind, so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to jump right in, because every time I say we have a short message, it ends up being rather long, and I have a short message today, so I hope you ate a good breakfast. So we're going to jump right in. The first point in our sermon outline is the importance of prophecy. Number one, the importance of prophecy. This section begins with Paul saying, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. This phrase is translated in many ways depending on the translation that you're using. Therefore, I want to break it down a bit. So we have a clear understanding of what Paul is saying. The New American Standard Bible, and following its typical word-for-word approach, instead of a thought-for-thought approach, the word-for-word approach is to say, one Greek word, one English word. Second Greek word, second English word. And try to maintain the word order and the sentence structure, and follow word-for-word. A thought-for-thought translation says, no, instead of trying to follow the specific word order, let's just figure out what Paul is saying, and let's just convey the thought. And both are appropriate, both are important, and there's some balance that should take place, especially with the translation of any language, but especially Scripture. But the New American Standard, following its typical word-for-word approach, may make it sound as though what Paul is saying is this. You may think Paul is saying, pursue or casually go after love, but earnestly, really seek after spiritual gifts. But that is not at all what his point point is, nor is that what the Greek says. Uh, is communicating here. The Greek word that is translated pursue carries the idea of doing something with intense effort and with definite purpose. In fact, it's the same root word that is translated persecute throughout Scripture. And in Matthew 23, 34, it's the same word where we read, Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute or pursue from city to city. So it carries this idea of striving or working hard or going after something with intensity. It's the same idea as persecution. When he talks about pursuing Love. He's talking about being zealous in following after the way of love. And the term desire earnestly is a translation of the single 
Greek word, zelute, which carries the idea of being deeply committed or setting your heart upon something. So Paul is not saying, casually seek after love, but really be desirous over the spiritual gifts. In fact, just the opposite. He's saying, strive after love, seek after love with an intense effort, but also have a heart for spiritual gifts. So we have both action, seriously seek after love, and attitude, have a heart for spiritual gifts. You know, the same is true in marriage. This principle we see applied in marriage, attitude and actions are connected. Right? That attitude and actions are just connected. Oftentimes, attitude follows action. If you strive to actively love your spouse, indeed, if you're seeking to show your spouse love in your deeds, your attitude will typically follow. That if you lay down your life and you indeed follow after Christ and seek to serve your spouse, your attitude follows suit. And conversely, the opposite is true. An attitude with a, an attitude with a heart's desire to love your spouse results in action. That if you have an attitude that seeks to care for your spouse, that the result is action, that you will indeed do the things that God has called you to do to exhibit love. In the same way, Paul wants the Corinthian believers to desire to see their spiritual gifts used in the church. But he doesn't want them to do that at the expense of love. He doesn't want them to just go around and just say, well, I've got the gift of service, so I need to serve. Well, I've got the gift of prophecy, so I need to prophesy. Or I've got the gift of teaching, so I need to teach. Instead, he wants that all to happen in a heart that is devoted to loving others. You see, he wants them to know that if they pursue love, it will lead to a desire to use their spiritual gifts. That if they are seeking to love one another, that their gifts will become evident and they will use those gifts to demonstrate that love. Next, notice that having said that the Corinthians should pursue love and be desirous of spiritual gifts, Paul says this, he says, but especially that you may prophesy. This is a continuation of what he just said in 1231 a couple of weeks ago, where he said, earnestly desire the greater gifts. So here he says, but especially that you may prophesy. And in 1231, just before talking about love, he said, earnestly desire the greater gifts. The point, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is that there is great diversity within the body of Christ. That there are various ministries and various gifts, and not every member is the same. Remember in 1229 he said, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, all are not workers of miracles, all do not have gifts of healing, all do not speak in tongues, all do not interpret, do they? And the answers to Paul's questions are implied. The answer is no. No, not everyone does have the same ministry or the same gift. Not every member of the body has the same function. But honor everyone. Honor every part of the body. But then he says, but, don't misunderstand me, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. As I said before, Paul's not turning back on everything he just said. He's saying, honor all gifts. 
and honor all ministries. You're all a part of the body. But don't neglect the gifts that build up the whole church. Gifts like prophecy and teaching. See, the church in Corinth had gotten their priorities mixed up by placing more focus on the gift of tongues than the gift of prophecy when they gathered for corporate worship. So Paul says, I want you to honor all the gifts, but don't neglect what is supremely necessary in the life of the church, teaching and prophecy, the forth-telling or applying of God's Word. When I talk about prophecy, by the way, I'm talking about the forth-telling of Scripture. Not the foretelling of the future, but instead taking God's Word, God's truth, and speaking it forth and helping others apply it to their lives. It's taking God's Word and applying it to today into the situation that one is living in. He says these gifts, teaching and prophecy, are of profound importance, so don't neglect them. That was a couple of weeks ago in 1231. And in the same way, conveying the same point in verse 1 of today's text, the phrase, especially that you may prophesy, conveys the same idea. The, the, the idea here is there's a plurality. This is written in plural. So he's saying, especially that you all may prophesy, or that you, all of you all may benefit from all of you all prophesying. The, the idea here is that you need to all benefit from prophecy when you gather. So what Paul is saying is he wants to see the greater gift of prophecy take its place in Corinth over and above the gift of tongues. That they had elevated the gift of tongues. And he says, no, you need to elevate the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is the greater gift. So when you gather, it needs to be prophecy that takes that place of priority among you. It needs to be a major part of your gathering as a body. So next, Paul goes on to explain why prophecy is superior to tongues. He doesn't just say prophecy is superior and then leave it alone. He says, I need to tell you why prophecy is superior to tongues. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says this. He says, But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. The word edify simply means to build up. It's actually a a building term by which a builder would build a building. It means to build up, to, to grow. So what Paul is saying is that one who prophesies builds up the church, whereas one who speaks in an uninterpreted tongue only builds up himself. And some would argue that Paul is speaking to the legitimate benefit that one receives from speaking in tongues, even when no one is there to interpret. In other words, some would say that Paul is saying that the speaker is indeed edified. That if I use the tongues as some sort of private prayer language, that I am myself built up. I don't think that is at all what Paul is talking about here. And actually, I don't think tongues, we see in Scripture, used at all as a private prayer language. In fact, we see again and again, at least in the corporate level, whenever tongues are present, there must be an interpreter. Paul is very clear. So some have said, 
But what would you do if somebody stood up and started speaking in tongues in a Baptist church? And I would say, well, I would say, is there an interpreter? Somebody who can understand and interpret? Because if not, we're not edified. We're not built up. And if there's no interpreter, then we would say, sit down and be quiet. Because this does not come from the Lord. That there's no speaking in tongues without interpretation. It doesn't edify or build up the church in any way. See, I think it's clear that Paul is using this idea of edifying in a negative sense when he uses it in reference to the building up of themselves. In fact, the thought process of one edifying themselves is foreign to Scripture. We should not build up ourselves. God is the one who edifies us. God is the one who builds us up. If Paul had been referring to the genuine edification of the believer, he would have said, one who speaks in a tongue is edified by God. Not one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he doesn't say that. So what Paul is saying that if someone speaks in a tongue and nobody knows, including the speaker, nobody knows what's being said, such speech only makes the speaker look good. They're speaking in a way that may make them look spiritual, but it's not done in love and it's of no value to anyone else. By contrast, in verse 3, to uninterpreted tongues, Paul says prophecy speaks to men for their edification, their true building up, which includes both exhortation and consolation. Exhortation being the the urging of someone to do something. More specifically, a biblical, to take a biblical course of action. I exhort you to follow the Lord in your marriage. I exhort you to follow the Lord in praying and fasting and reading Scripture. I exhort you to work diligently at work and show respect for your boss and put everything into your work so that you can represent Christ well. It's the urging of someone to take biblical action. And the consolation is to speak to someone. The idea is speaking to someone coming close to their side. It carries the idea of comfort. Somebody who just needs comfort. Needs to, needs to feel God's love and the church's love. So prophecy includes both. It, it builds up. It's edification. It builds up by way of exhortation and consolation. After all, if prophecy is the speaking forth of Scripture, they would naturally follow that the speaking forth of Scripture is about exhortation and consolation. Because that's what Scripture repeatedly does. Scripture repeatedly exhorts me and says, you need to live this way. And then comforts me and says, by God's grace, by God's grace, you're able to trust Him and follow Him and live in this way that honors God. It begins with the Gospel. The Gospel that exhorts me and says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All. Not, not, a, not some. Everyone has fallen short. It exhorts me and says, your sin, Jason Polly, is ever before you. That my alarm goes off in the morning and my first thought is not, praise be to God, another day to honor the Lord. In fact, this morning I set my alarm for 5.20. And I like to get up early, especially on Sunday mornings. Very, I know it's not very early for some Mainers, but 
very early for me. I like to get up at 5.20 on, on Sunday mornings and just pour over the text and pray. And um, sometimes I all but rewrite my sermon. And, and just seek the Lord while the house is quiet. And this morning I woke up and I, uh, I looked over at Kim's clock, which is 15 minutes fast. My cell phone hadn't gone off yet. And it said 5.30. And I said, oh, i got five more minutes to fall back asleep before my cell phone goes off. And I thought, why, why does this have to happen? Why couldn't I have looked over there and it said midnight? I love it when that happens. Because then it's like, i got five more hours of sleep, right? i got five minutes. And immediately, my sin is before me. It's not, praise God, I've got five extra minutes to pour over the Word, to prepare my heart. It's, why God, why? I had five more minutes to sleep. You see, my sin is ever before me, and the Word exhorts me. When I read the Word, it says, you should be grateful for the life you've been given, for the grace you've been shown, for the opportunity to preach God's Word. But it also consoles me and says, I will build my church, and I will use my servants for my glory. And you can be used, not because of you, but in spite of you today. So beginning with, the Gospel, which exhorts us in, in light of our sin and says, you are a sinner, but also comforts us and says, you are saved by grace. Not by anything you've done, but by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who took the penalty, paid the, paid the penalty, took the punishment for your sin and defeated death and sin by raising from the dead. It comforts me. And in the same way, the Scripture continues to exhort and console me again and again, and again throughout my Christian life. That's the role of the Scripture. That's why when we celebrate communion, it's both sobering and joyful. That it's just, it cuts us down, and and when we say, I am a wretched sinner deserving of hell. My sin is great, but God is greater. We have this strange sense of the heaviness of our sin, and the Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So prophecy is used to build up the church by way of exhortation and consolation. The noun translated edification, by the way, is used four times in this chapter. And the corresponding verb is also used three times. So this idea of edification is used seven times in this chapter. Because Paul wants the Corinthian believers to know that prophecy is important. The speaking forth of God's Word is important. It has its role because God intends to use it to edify, to build up, to help His church grow spiritually. Prophecy is indeed important. So having seen, number one, the importance of prophecy, that it builds up the church by exhortation and by consolation, now let's consider point number two. Point number two, the how of prophecy. So having seen the importance of prophecy, let's consider the how of prophecy. Just as the word edification appears seven times in this chapter, so also the word understanding appears eight times in chapter 14. Eight times we see this word understanding. So while prophecy is important because it edifies, it builds up the church, understanding is the way that it's the way in which prophecy accomplishes its goal. In other words, since prophecy is the forthtelling of God's word, 
The goal in doing so needs to be proper understanding. So hopefully that's clear. Prophecy is important because it edifies, it builds up the church, and understanding is the way in which uh, that goal, prophecy accomplishes that goal. Prophecy is the foretelling of God's Word, and the goal in doing so needs to be proper understanding. Which, by the way, includes application. Proper understanding needs to include application. Prophecy is focused not just at head knowledge, but also heart knowledge. And why? So that the church will indeed be built up. So let's look at the text again. Paul gives two analogies from everyday life as to why understanding is so important. The how of prophecy is indeed understanding. So he gives us two ways, two everyday life examples of why understanding is important. First, he uses the example of musical instruments. Look at verses 6-9 through with me. Verses 6-9, through he says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues... What will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? He says, if I speak in tongues, but there's no revelation or knowledge or or teaching, no prophecy, what benefit is there? What profit is there to you? And then he gives the first example. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? He says, if somebody plays a flute or a harp and there's no distinction of those tones, how will it even be known what they're playing? In other words, it won't be. And I'm no musical genius, by the way. My, my musical ability, like I play the radio. That is my, that's the only instrument that I play. I played the snare drum in, uh, in uh, grade school. And I, got, I started in third grade, fourth grade, whenever they start doing that, right, band? Band stuff. And I, I, I tried playing the snare drum, um, and I got to 7th grade, 8th grade, I don't know. But when I quit, my band teacher thanked me. Um, I, said, I said, um, in home ec class today, uh, they're giving away cookies, so I quit. I'm done. I'm eating the cookies. And he said, thank you. Um, because there was no distinction of tone. It was, just, it was just noise. It was me, like, hammering on the drum. And oftentimes, so they took me away from the snare drum and they put me on the bass drum. And I remember one concert, there was like one note I had to play, right? The whole song, in the middle of the song, I just had to go, boom. And I couldn't get that right, right? I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like reading a book, and he's like, you know. So there has to be a distinction of tones. If I, if I play the piano and I'm just like, how will you know what I play? You won't. And he says... If, if I speak in tongues and there's no understanding, what profit is there? There's none. There's none whatsoever. And then is, is the other musical instrument that he speaks of is the beagle, or the beagle, the bugle. <laughs> he says, the, for if the bugle, see, it shows you what little I know about musical instruments. He says, for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? If a soldier's on the battlefield and he doesn't know what's being played on the bugle, what's he going to do? If he doesn't know that the bugle means, the, the, the sound played means charge or retreat, there's confusion and there's chaos. Can you imagine a bunch of soldiers just running around? They're like, they hear the bugle, but they're not sure what to do. It's detrimental. It is harmful. And I would argue that in the same way, that if there is mass confusion in the church, 
Because one speaks in tongues and there's no interpretation that it causes confusion amongst the soldiers of Christ. That it is detrimental because it causes confusion and chaos. We have some in this church who have experience with that. Where they've seen that play out in very real ways. Where the soldiers don't know what to do. They don't know whether to charge or retreat or to turn left or to turn right. Because there's confusion going on in the service. So he says, so also you, if you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Or unless you utter speech by the tongue that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. That you need to speak in a way that is clear and known to the recipient. So we have the example of musical instruments. The second example that Paul uses is that of everyday speech. Look at verses 10 through 13. He writes this There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. The term barbarian was used to negatively refer to someone who spoke in a language that was unintelligible. The term barbarian was was specifically addressed to someone who didn't speak in a language that could be understood by a Greek hearer or a Greek speaker. So what Paul was saying is this, that if two people are trying to have a conversation and they don't share a mutual language, the things they say to each other will not be understood. You know, preparing this message, I couldn't help but think about when I was in Israel and um, a few of us decided that we would go to a Jewish uh, pizza, an Israeli pizza shop. Not one of the tourist traps, not like McDonald's, right, where they have uh, everything in English and you can easily order, but like a real little Jewish pizza shop. So we go in and you can tell we're not Jewish because we're like thinking about, well, should we get sausage or should we get pepperoni? Should we get hamburger? And we're like, wait a minute, oh, Right, no pork. Oh, wait a minute, no meat at all because there's cheese on the pizza. So the place is kosher, so we go in anyway, and we want to order a pizza. And the the guy says something, I don't know, uh, and we look at him, and he looks at us, and we say something in English, and he just looks at us, so we did this. And he's like, (laughs) holds up a pizza box, so we're like, yes. So then you get to toppings, it's really difficult, right? I mean, how do you explain, like, we're like, well, what else do you put on a pizza besides meat? Once you take the meat off, like, what's left, right? So we're like, well, we could have a veggie pizza. Um, green pepper. Hmm. Uh, it, was, it was awkward at best, right? Because we weren't speaking a common language. So there's no understanding. And finally, we got a pizza. It tasted good. I have no idea what was on it. But we got something. Because there has to be a common language, a common understanding. He says, since you're zealous of spiritual gifts... Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, there must be interpretation. There must be an understanding. And finally, to underscore the importance of understanding, Paul says in verses 14 through 17, he says this For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? Hence, I believe the private prayer language is deemed null and void here. My mind is unfruitful. What's the profit then? If I don't even know what I'm saying myself, 
What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind also. For T and Kim to get up here and sing, they sing not only with the Spirit, not only do they seek to edify the church through proclaiming God's Word, by seeking to speak forth God's Word through song, but they're, they're doing so not only with their spirit, but also with their mind. Seeking understanding amongst the audience, amongst the people here. It says otherwise, verse 16, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough But the person, the other person, is not edified. The word amen is simply used to affirm what has been said. It means, indeed it is true, or let it be. That's why when we pray, we say amen, right? Let it be. Or when someone preaches, the listener may say, amen, it is true. And there's very uh, few things that are, more encouraging, i got to tell you, as a preacher, there's very few things that are more encouraging than when somebody says, Amen! And when somebody is engaged and looking at you and watching you. I see Matt back here, and I can't help but think of his father, Jeff, right? who, who I served with in another church, who would always sit in the front row, always smile, and always nod. He had a ministry just of saying, Amen! And that wasn't his only ministry, but that was a huge ministry. To say, I'm tracking with you. I agree with you. It is true. Paul says, how will the hearer be able to say, Amen? And his point is simple. The hearer needs to be able to understand in order to be built up. If I was to stand up here and preach in Latin, and I don't know Latin, neither do you, I'm sure, but I took three years of Latin, and I don't know anything. I think I can count to ten. But if I was to stand up here and preach in Latin, you couldn't rightly say amen. Because even if what I was saying was true, even if I was giving thanks well enough, as the text says, you couldn't agree. Because you'd have no idea what I was saying. The same is true of your typical modern day practice of speaking in tongues. Typical, by the way I say. If I was to turn on TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, which by the way I don't advise you do, Um, Because there is some good stuff on there, but you have to weed through so much trash to get to much of the good stuff. And I think that's actually the case with a lot of stuff today. You get your Christian book uh, catalog in the mail, and I'm telling you, there's plenty of trash in there. Just because it says Christian doesn't mean that it's going to be edifying. So be careful. Chew the meat and spit out the bone. But if I was to turn on TBN, and they were speaking in tongues without an interpreter... All I would hear is gobbledygook. It would just be nonsense. So I can't learn. I can't say amen and be pointed to Christ. I can't grow spiritually. I can't be edified by it. In order for the listener to be built up, there must be both spoken, truth spoken, and there must be understanding of that truth. Both must take place. So when there's no understanding, no matter how spirit-led it may seem, There's no edification in the body. That's why Paul finishes with these words. Verse 19, he says, I thank God. I speak in tongues more than you all. And clearly he doesn't mean I seriously like speak in tongues way more than anyone else. He says, 
He's saying, I'm, I'm glad that I have this ability. I'm glad that God has given me this ability to speak in tongues more than any of you. Maybe more than any of you. But, however, in the church, I desire to speak five words. I'd rather speak five words, very few, with my mind. I'd rather speak in a way that is purposeful and in a way that you may understand so that I may instruct others also. Rather than 10,000 words, infinitely more, rather than infinitely more words in a tongue, in a language that you don't understand. So by way of review, we've seen, number one, the importance of prophecy, that it builds up the church, that it helps the church grow, that it helps them grow spiritually by exhortation, directing one toward a biblical course of action, and by consolation, coming alongside and comforting them. Because that's what Scripture does, right? That, it, that Scripture, that it, and prophecy is important because Scripture is important. We've seen that, and then we've seen number two, the how of prophecy. That we're all to grow in understanding. That we're all to be able to say, Amen! That we're all be able to, be, to be able to understand what Scripture has spoken to us and apply it to our lives. That's why every week I say, so how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives? Because we have to understand the importance of speaking forth God's Word. We also have to understand the need to grow in understanding of God's Word and applying it to our daily lives. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives? Well, number one, I want to encourage you to pursue love. Number one, pursue love. John 13 says this. 34 and 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The kind of love we talked about last week, love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own. That kind of love. Love that never fails, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, That kind of love is what is being talked about here. That we strive after it. That we work hard at it. That when we're tired, we still love. That when we feel like we've given everything, that we give more. That we put ourselves into a position where we are living selflessly and sacrificially to love Christ's church. We are called to pursue love, folks. And that's hard. Because you know what? Christ's disciples are sometimes not very lovable. You know, I'm not very lovable. But it doesn't change the fact that we are called to eagerly go after love. Number two, by way of application, I want you to recognize the importance of prophecy. Recognize the importance of prophecy. That we're called to exhort and comfort one another by speaking forth God's Word. That it's not just my job. Yes, it is primarily what we do on Sunday morning when I get up here is I speak forth the Word of God. Exhort and comfort is the goal. But it's also what we're all called to do. To speak forth the Word of God into each other's lives. To exhort. To say, hey, whoa, Bill. (laughs) This way, not that way. And to comfort and say, Bill, hey, I know you're having a hard time. Let me comfort you with God's Word. 
must also make sure that prophecy, the speaking forth of God's word, is a priority during the worship service. Primarily in preaching, yes. So I want to say that primarily in preaching, but not just in preaching. Also in the prayers we pray and in the songs we sing, Scripture should be spoken forth in all those things. And in every part of what we do from 11 to whenever I'm done. That we must make sure that prophecy is important. That prophecy takes its proper place in that. You see, I'm not going to stand up here and preach fluff. I'm not going to tell stories or just deliver milk. That's not the point of what I am called to do. Yes, there must be milk. And I recognize that there are babes in Christ, that there may be infants who need spiritual milk, and I'm not concerned they'll get something out of this. But I'm also going to push you. And I remember talking to a brother from this church, and we were talking about the messages, and he said, not in a negative way, he said, the only feedback I would give you is that sometimes they're cerebral. And he said, but that's not a bad thing. And that's what my intent is, is to push us to think. Because I refuse to give you any less than meat to chew on. We need to be chewing on the meat of the Word. We need to be growing in our understanding. We need to recognize the truth of prophecy, the truth of Scripture, and prophesy, speak forth the truth so that we can learn it and then apply it. And oftentimes, when I'm stepping on your toes, trust me, I am stepping on my toes the entire time. Many of those times from 5.30 to 7.30 that I spend on Sunday morning, much of that time is me spent saying, how am I ever going to preach this, God? Because I'm going to look at them and tell them to live this way when I am struggling to live this way myself. But you know what? The preaching forth, the speaking forth of God's Word causes me to step back and say, I must live in light of God's Word. And that's what will happen if this church begins to speak forth God's Word to each other and do so in a serious way. So we need to exhort, we need to comfort, we need to make sure that prophecy is a major part of what we do. So we pursue love, we recognize the importance of prophecy, and thirdly, by way of application, we need to grow in our understanding and application. You see, I pray that as I preach, that as Bill teaches, that as T sings, that as Richard sings, that whenever those things happen, that you are able to say, Amen! That you're able to say, that is true. And that you're pushed. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, I am unashamedly after your mind. I want you to think biblically because God is after your mind. When situations come into your life, the goal is not to be driven by your emotions, but to be driven by true biblical thought, by scriptural application. So when your wife says, your breath stinks, you say, well, praise God, I have an opportunity to brush my teeth and grow by this. Not, well, your breath stinks every morning. Not that I would ever say that to my wife. Or when somebody says, you know, Bill, you have, I always pick on Bill, you know, Bill, you have an anger problem. 
for Bill to say, well, you know what? You've got some problems of your own, Mr. Little Arrogant there. Right? Instead, it's to say, you know what? I need to work on this in my life. In humility, I recognize that's true. I need to change my mind about the way situations come into my life. And when that happens, I'll be transformed and I'll know what the will of God is. I need to think biblically. So we need to grow in our understanding and application of God's Word. And by way of just a side note here, as we think about changes to our format, we've talked a little bit about Sunday morning and potentially changing uh, the worship time and the structure of the service and some of those things. I just want to have you really think about the importance of prophecy. And I don't say this because I'm the guy who preaches and I need more time. Because frankly, I don't care if it's me or not. And I don't mean that in in a... uh, manipulative kind of way. I mean that if God brings somebody else here to serve in this church and I can serve under that person, praise God. That if that's what God does, God is the Lord of His church. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. Not Jason Polly. And I will submit by God's grace to His will and not my will. But so long as I am charged with prophesying with speaking forth the word it must maintain its proper place in the church both in prayer and in song and in preaching it must so as we consider these changes let's make that our focus i firmly believe that sunday school should be primarily about education knowing what god says the community group should be all about application coming alongside each other and asking how do i take what's just been spoken to me in the message and, and in life, in Sunday school, and how do I live it out? How do I, for exhortation and consolation, live it out personally? And prayer meeting is supplication. It's bending our will to God's will. Not bending God's will to ours, by the way, but bending our will to God's will. And 11 a.m., the worship service, is all about proclamation. It's all about speaking forth the Word of God. Speaking forth the Gospel. Speaking forth the truth of Scripture through prayer, through song, and through preaching. And we must maintain those priorities as a church. So it's my prayer that you pursue love, that you recognize the importance of prophecy, and that you grow in your understanding and application of God's Word. And it's my prayer that I walk alongside you in that and do the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for the reality that You have spoken to us through Your Word. That Your Word is then in turn used by Your servants through their voices prophetically. That that You have given both the gift and ministry of prophecy to speak forth Your Word. And God, I pray that as Your Word is spoken forth, that it would indeed be done for building up Your body, building up, causing Your church to grow. And that indeed it would happen through exhortation, pointing all of us in the right direction, the way in which we should live, and through consolation, comforting us, as we live in this world waiting for the next. Live waiting for the return of Your Son, Jesus Christ, knowing that we live in a world that is tainted by sin, that our own lives are ravaged by sin, 
but that Your grace is enough. God, I pray that if there is anyone here who does not know You as their Lord, as their Savior, that if they have not experienced saving grace, the saving grace that only You provide through Your Son, Jesus Christ, God, that they would today come to know You. That they would today repent of their sin, place their trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, His work on the cross, His perfect sacrifice. And God, today, that their name would be written in Your book, in Your book of life. God, I just pray and ask Your grace upon us who have believed to continue to live in such a way that we are seeking to honor and live for Your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.